This is Dave Bayless for Human Scale Business. I'm speaking with Maggie Chumley. Maggie helps businesses, nonprofit organizations, government agencies, and communities design and facilitate effective meetings. Maggie, tell me a little bit about your consulting practice. What are the kinds of people that you most uh, hope to serve, and, and how specifically do you help them? The ways that I help people are kind of, they fall into two different buckets. I, I think um, more traditional consulting people have a problem to solve and they need someone to help them do it. And so uh, folks hire me to, to design and facilitate their meetings, their initiatives, their retreats, um, maybe to get something started and have it be enduring and strong or to solve a problem. And so I often find myself in in longer format meetings or retreats or or long or initiative building. Um, so that's kind of one side of things where folks just want me to help them get it done, and they don't really care how I get it done. Um, on the other side, I'd say is training, where I am teaching the techniques that I use. So I'm sort of drawing drawing open the curtain and saying, this is, this is how we do it. Uh, we do it by finding really, really clear purpose before we get started. We do it by um, sequencing different structures and activities that get to the goals that we want to achieve. And so training is kind of the other, the other side of things. So learning about your techniques is how Laura Black and I discovered you and, and met you for the first time. And one of the I think, points of conversation that uh, led us to you was about how terrible meetings are typically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what, what can we do or what can we stop doing to make our meetings better? You know, it's, it's funny. If you, most people who work in traditional workplaces, if you say to them, you know, when was your last terrible meeting? You elicit groans and eye rolling and, and there's somehow this shared sense that meetings are this necessary evil. Um, and I, it's funny. I find, um, I find that people either want to do away with them completely, which isn't really the answer. Um, or they just they just sort of suffer through them as like a necessary part of of working life. And so some of the I'd say some of the most common things that we can do or stop doing to to make meetings better. Um, one thing you can do is just discipline yourself to be really really clear on what the meeting's for. Um, if you are the one facilitating and planning the meeting, tell yourself this meeting exists in order to dot 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 dot. Um, I draw a lot from Priya Parker's work. Priya Parker wrote The Art of Gathering, and she is also a facilitator and uh, helps people work through processes. And she says that you have to write down what would have, what will be different because you've met. It ha your purpose has to be something debatable and, and, and slightly con almost controversial, like that you, that it's debatable and that it, it elicits a response. And so I'd say, Definitely have a really, really clear purpose for why you're there. And purpose can can be as concrete as I want to make a decision or we need to decide on some metrics or they can be as uh, elusive as we want to improve our relationship or we want to connect and tune into one another more relationally. 
Um, but being clear on what the purpose is can help you decide how to meet. And so some things to stop doing, first off is stop, stop, stop not having a plan and stop walking in unprepared if you're the, if you're the one who's in charge of the meeting or facilitating it. Um, that we, the thing is, Dave, we, we come by some of our mistakes really honestly. I think most people have a basic understanding that when a group of people comes together that you should give everybody a turn and that we should just sort of behave in a way that is professional, which means we give other people time to talk and, and we generally work it out. And sometimes that, that happens. But I think the, the folks that come to me are the folks who are really having a hard time equalizing participation. They've got people in their staff that really dominate or they are, they put someone in power themselves and they know that they are not, the people aren't speaking up and they, they need help allowing for people to speak clearly and bravely about what's really happening. Um, and so planning different activities, one of the, one of the things I, I support the people I train to do is to not always rely on an unstructured open discussion, um, which is most of meetings. Most of the time we, we come together and if they say, how will you get this done? Folks will say, I don't know. We'll just talk about it. And, uh, I, I really encourage you to find other ways. It can be as simple as taking post-it notes and, and everybody contributing three ideas or everybody making a poster that can be understood quickly and uniformly about the status of their project or uh, moving around the room, depending on how strongly you feel about a certain idea. You know, if you strongly agree or strongly disagree, kind of like a, a quick survey. So there's some really helpful ways. And, and we don't, I'm, I'm not recommending these ideas just to make it more entertaining or more fun. Um, but to truly engage people with multiple learning styles and multiple intelligences, there's so much more information that can be revealed if you break out of sitting together and just speaking openly. So some of the facilitation techniques that you actually reintroduced me to, I guess at a time when I was, I was ready to pay attention, it is known, it's got the intriguing name of liberating structures. What, mm -hmm. What's that all about? Mm -hmm. Liberating structures is a body of work that was co-created by Keith McCandless and Henry Lebanowitz. And these two guys, um, you know, did some, I think they did some graduate work together and, and started helping organizations. And they developed a, a repertoire of over 33 different structures. And structure simply is... You know, what, what's the invitation? How are we going to arrange the space? How is participation distributed? How is time? And what are the steps that we're taking? And, and these different structures are, uh, can be applied to different situations depending on, on really what you want to get done. Um, so for example, one of our favorite structures is called TRIZ. And TRIZ, claims that you can stop counterproductive activities and make space for innovation. And the core of the TRIZ activity is you ask, 
what could we do to reliably guarantee the worst possible results? So for example, if, if you are in a strategy meeting and one of you, and you have a list of goals for your company, you want to increase your growth by 30%. You want to become innovators in the field. And, um, let's say you just have those two goals. We would ask you, what could you do to reliably guarantee that you don't reach these goals, that you, you become obsolete in the field and that you don't grow 30%, but you go down, you go down in revenue. Make a list. What are all the things you could do to really screw this thing up? And so it's, it's fun. Groups make this super long list and we laugh and we compare, you know, the ways we could really ruin it. And then we ask ourselves, are we doing any of these things? Are we, are any of our current behaviors or attitudes or, um, actions like any of the things on this list? And it can be, and you need to be brutally honest and it's remarkable what a little shift in thinking can do to allow for a new, new way of thinking. And, and so when groups do this and they, they identify maybe some of the things that, that are not helpful, like we are not, um, you know, evaluating our customer feedback enough. That could be an example of one, or we're not hiring the right people. Um, you can get really clear quickly and, in an activity like this, everybody's included. Everybody gets to make a list. You get to talk in groups. You get to talk some twos and fours. And it, it, I find it gets us to the bottom of things really quickly. You know, what are we, what are we doing now that demands a fresh approach? So that's a little bit what they, they look like and sound like. What I'm really fascinated by is how they're based on treating an organization like a complex adaptive system. And so they're based on complexity science and th- that what that means is all systems have to adapt in order to thrive and organizations, businesses, teams, those are all systems that have to adapt in order to thrive. And there's rules about how, how systems work. Like another example of a structure is 15% solutions in complexity theory. If, if you're piling up grains of sand on the beach and you're making pyramid as you drip just grains of sand. It only takes the top 15% of that little sand tower to fall over for the whole thing to be disrupted. And so that's empowering to know that in an organization, if each of us do our 15%, we can shift the whole system. It doesn't take a hundred percent from each person. It takes 15%. Um, and so I'm, I've found with these structures that I feel way more empowered as a facilitator, having a repertoire, um, having really good reasons why uh, we are looking at certain things a certain way um, and treating organizations like the adaptive systems that they are. There's so much of our work in business and organizations is about planning for the future And yet there's this really uncomfortable truth that the future is dynamic and we don't know what's going to happen. And so how can we um, distribute participation and really include everybody and relate to one another in a way that helps us work at the top of our intelligence? And that's what I find liberating structures does. So that's all that being said, the the place to start is go to liberatingstructures.com. Take a look at the menu of structures and just start clicking around and noticing everything's creative commons attributes. So you can 
basically means you can use them. You just can't sell them. Um, and you may find things that you recognize like appreciative interviews, you know, asking what are the best ways to succeed and then noting, noting those attributes. Um, conversation cafe is a, is a common one we've probably seen before. Um, so that's the, that's the best way to get started for liberating structures. But I find myself seeing groups, um, way more empowered. In fact, I just got off the phone with a group that I, uh, facilitated about two weeks ago and their manager said, I've, I've never seen this team behave in this way. And in that every single person seemed to share and be involved. Well, usually there's a few, only a few people involved. Um, and I attribute that to liberating structures. So one of the realities of our world is that our teams are increasingly distributed. And consequently, meetings often take the form of teleconferences or increasingly, for instance, Zoom web meetings. And you've, you've argued that online meetings using tools like Zoom can be as engaging and, and productive as in-person meetings. And in fact, sometimes even more so. How, how did under what circumstances do you find that 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 can be true? Yeah, virtual meetings, we're we're definitely moving towards them. And there's some great reasons for it in terms of just lifestyle and, um, and, you know, the flexibility to connect. Um, but what I think can happen in the virtual space that I, I get really excited about, um, and I would say that it is not as possible in, in a live space as some of the tools. So my, my favorite platform right now is Zoom. There's other ones out there. There's Skype for Business. There's GoToMeeting. There's GoToWebinar. There's WebEx. And I don't find them to be as nimble um, or as simple as Zoom. And let me describe to you a, a couple of the things that you can do that can really make your virtual meeting way, way more engaging than an in-person meeting. And you can actually get some real work done. Um, one of the things you can do is you can utilize some other platforms. These are synchronous platforms in the sense that you can all work on something at the same time. Google Drive, when you share in Google Drive and everybody has editing rights, you can, you can create slide decks simultaneously. You can co-create a, a document together. And that one's quite simple and usually quite accessible a, a world, the world over. Um, it doesn't, doesn't use seem to use too much bandwidth. Um, another one that I'm really liking is called Mural, and Mural looks like kind of a blank space, and you can add uh, different shapes and sections and little virtual post-it notes, and everybody can kind of move things around. What happens when these different workspaces are are pre-populated with um, you know prompts to say write, write this list or move this slider to show me how much you agree or disagree with this statement or take this image and start to put in your current work projects according to where they are in their life cycle. Um, it's amazing because everybody can, everybody can work at the same time. You can see what everybody else is working on. And that's, I don't know of many many ways in the physical space aside from creating posters and putting them up on a board that, that you can do that. So that's, that's one of the, the things that I'm 
really excited about. Some other things that are possible in Zoom, which is you have this chat box and you can use it in a couple different ways. You can take notes there. You can just take note of what has been said in the meeting or meeting participants can write their thoughts. And so if, if folks are chatting with each other and then we are asking them, okay, what are your conclusions from this? Let's hear from everybody. Everybody has the power with their own keyboard to write their thought or give their response to a question. And we can, we can instantly make what was spoken visual or not even, or even skip the speaking part and just read what people have to say. And so I find that to be really helpful. It's really efficient. It's really helpful for meeting notes and maybe helpful for that meeting participant who who feels uneasy about speaking out in front of the group and they'd rather type their answer. The other uh, feature of that is a game changer is breakout rooms and breakout rooms are a way to allow smaller groups of people to talk with one another quietly and kind of in their own space. And so if you're on a, a call that has you know, over 10 people, it's really hard for 10 people to have a productive discussion all talking at once. It, it, it doesn't work very well. And so in breakout rooms, you can put people in groups of twos or fours or threes and they can have, and, and Zoom allows this where you go into this space and you're away from the main meeting session and it's just the three of you and you, and you can bring people back if you're the facilitator after, after a certain amount of time. Um, that they're in that breakout room. So what I find is, well, when people first log into an online meeting, they're usually pretty quiet. It's because there's, it's hard to read the room. We don't have all the cues that we would have in a normal meeting space, looking people in the eye, noticing body language, um, noticing when it's obvious that it's your turn to speak next. Um, but there's some really easy ways to to build etiquette together and move around that. And um, I find breakout rooms get people engaged and alive very quickly. Uh, so that's, that's my, um, my gushing about online meetings and how I think they're, they're super efficient and, and, and lovely. I, I don't think they replace face-to-face connection. Um, but I'm amazed at what kind of camaraderie connection legality that I've built with some, people I've never met in person and I've only met on zoom. So what, what are the things you like the most about the work you do? One of the things I love doing. So in my, in my twenties, I became a yoga teacher and, and then in my late twenties, I, in early thirties, I, I got to learn even more about the finer points of yoga and the alignment and, and, um, the subtle, small shifts about, you know, how you turn your, your outside hip and your inside hip in different ways and how you think differently about the, you know, the, the two directions that you stretch your muscles. And so what I got to do as a, as a yoga teacher is I got to put people in really familiar poses and then add these little subtleties. And I got to say, does that feel better? How does that feel compared to what you're used to doing? And it was my favorite question to say, does that feel better now? When people say, I can't do that pose I, or this isn't, it's not my favorite one. And to be able to make some small shifts that made a huge difference is 
um, a big point of joy in my work. And so that's, that's my little metaphor for some of this is meetings are familiar. Um, having workplace conversations is, is quite familiar, but if I can show us a way to do it, that it feels better. And then, then it becomes something we look forward to. Uh, I, that's, that's one of the best parts that just to see people relieved that they were able to, um, figure out something or, or be on their way to something better or just make daily life at work better. I mean, we spend so much of our time at work and in meetings that I would love for uh, that to be joyful and, and inspiring that those conversations feel like we're doing our best and, and really leveraging our intelligence as people. So, um, that's, that's a fabulous part of it. I think some of the other great parts of the work I do is supporting people, um, to just connect to each other in, in deeper relational ways that, that we can foster a culture of positivity in our workplaces and, um, and let other people surprise us at what they have to contribute if they're just asked in a different way in a different format. Maggie, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and your work? I'd say the best way is to visit my website. Um, you can find it at leadgroupsbetter.com or you can also find it at maggiechumbly.com. It's the same website. And there you'll find a few blog posts and a landing page that just succinctly says, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I do it. And then some, um, some trainings and offerings. So that's a, that's a great place to find it all. And then from there, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can find me on Instagram and kind of see what I've been up to. 